your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome to Rutgers Week on Off Tackle Empire, where once again we are discussing everything Big Ten, and I do mean everything. As we do every summer, this is our week-by-week uh, week deep dive on every Big Ten team to go along with what the blog does, and it is the best time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's Rutgers time! You know, I for one appreciate that Zoom is now an affirmative consent web hosting service and that they pop up this little screen now that says, hey, you're being recorded. Are you cool with being recorded? It's it's very much it's like the opposite of and I bring this up because um, you did a little bit of a Jersey accent there. I'm not going to attempt it. I'm not I'm not much for accents for the most part. Uh, but it's kind of the opposite of the are you wearing a wire thing. It's like that we're wearing a wire. Uh, <laughs> so you're aware of what's going on here. I wonder if for legal reasons, you they might have had to, to do that just to make sure they're steering a wide berth around those wiretap rules. I, so. have to, I have to tell you if I'm a cop. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Zoom is a cop and it's telling us. So. Yeah, Rutgers week, a little bit later than they're used to being. You know, in the previous week's episode, we commented, oh, hey, Michigan, you're not usually you know, kind of hanging around on the seedy side of town there, aren't you? Starting your preview in May. And... I've been very annoyed at Rutgers, um, you know, in recent years because I'm, you know, I'm used to like, I bat lead off on the previews. That's what I do, you know. Illinois goes first. And you're used to a table setter and Rutgers coming up after you, but now it's unfamiliar teams. I mean, you're not used to talking to me that early in the season. Well, no, but but what I'm saying was I was annoyed before because Rutgers got my leadoff spot a few times. (laughs) Well, look, sometimes you get bumped down in the order by by a less deserving team. I'm Steve Braun with Andrew Koscheski and and – we're going to talk about the best three and six season that maybe anybody's ever had. Yeah. A, a rare situation where three and six is an absolute unqualified success because it's also pretty rare for a program to skulk around in the depths that Rutgers did for most of the last decade, really. The 2010s are going to be it. They're not quite what Northwestern was in the eighties. If only because that's a difficult bar to clear. Yeah, and Rutgers also they, spent the first few years of the decade at a different conference. But they were legitimately Kansas bad, and there's two points of evidence that I'd like to bring up because I know that that is a heavy accusation. Kansas bad <laughs> is rock serious, bottom. These are serious charges, counsel. One, uh, Kansas never lost all of their conference games in three of four years, um, at any point in the 2010s. Rutgers did it three times in four years. I mean, that's like, you have to go back to 80s Northwestern to find that in the Big Ten. And this is a conference with Illinois and Indiana. Um, yeah, that, it takes some doing. They're, so they're that's Kansas some... bad. And also, they played Kansas and got blown out by them. <laughs> right. It's frankly a so... miracle that they had a four and eight season with three conference wins in there. Yeah, but there's no question that it, year one was an absolute success for Greg Schiano. Um, 
And they equaled Chris Ash's conference wins in one year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, three and six. So that, you know, that, that tells you the depths that he's hauling this particular um, burned out vehicle out of. He with, arguably again, competed in jersey. more in one season. He arguably competed in more big 10 games than Chris Ash did in three and change. Oh, I don't think there's any argument to be had. He, there was absolutely. actually, I remember a couple of games that Rutgers almost won under Chris Ash. I remember one against Minnesota, one against Northwestern because of course. Um, but yeah, but it yeah, honestly, I mean, virtually a whole yeah, season. Yeah, look at Rutgers results up and down the schedule last year. The only two games that in my mind were really not competitive were Ohio State and Penn State. You could maybe put Indiana in that category if you want. Let's say for argument's sake that you do put Indiana in that. That still means that in six out of their nine conference games, they were very competitive. And in those six, they went three and three. I think, you know, again, the Indiana game, you could put that in either bucket, I think. But no question that they were top to bottom, a much more competent, Big Ten looking type of team than they were. And of course, the good news here is they've got a lot of the core pieces back. Looking at the offense, you have. Vedral back as the clear-cut starter at quarterback. He was decent, not world-shattering, but they also have their change-up in a run-only option with Johnny Langan. They've got their workhorse running back in Isaiah Pacheco. And Bo Melton, who looked the part of a number-one receiver, I mean, he's not a prototype in terms of size or anything, but he was a guy who certainly <laughs> he, he, I'll put it this way, he was a name who came up from Rutgers circles a couple years before that as, oh, we got Bo Melton, and it's like yeah, he's caught about eight career passes in three years. What do you want us to like? We can't project him as a, an actual threat, but um, they, they certainly looked a lot more competent. That being said, this was not an especially menacing offense. And yet it, there was such dramatic improvement before we started recording. You mentioned, I assume looking up a little bit of general information there. They had a fairly late spring game. They just had it last week as we sit here recording this Um a couple weeks before it'll debut and I caught a little bit of the spring game and towards the end of it, BTN put up this stat that I think tells you that this is what you need for that network to be critical of a given staff. And they didn't say, Oh man, Chris Ash's offenses were bad, but given the period of time they're talking about, like there's no question kind of who this is aimed at. And here's the stat they came up with. The stat that we're talking about is, how many times did Rutgers score 20 points in a conference game? So here's what I'm going to give you, which is that last year they did it eight times out of nine games. They only failed to get to 20 against Penn state. How many times Steve Thumpastorus would you say they got to 20 points in a big 10 conference game in the previous four years? Well, I know they did it at least twice. They did it against Illinois, and then they did it against Minnesota because I rewatched the Chris Ash in memoriam video not too long ago, and those are both in there. <laughs> um, which, by the way, everybody listening, please go give that a give that a look. It's I I, I think if anything, it only it only gets better, especially especially if you now feel like you're maybe in a good place as a Rutgers fan. But okay, so there's two of those that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, Oh man, was so 
I mean, I only played Purdue the one time, and I know that was a very low-scoring game. But I wonder if they had a stupid shootout with Maryland. So let's say three. Um, oh, oh, uh, did, mm, they, mm. he's putting his encyclopedic knowledge. I want to say five. Here, folks. God damn! Give the man his prize five times in the previous four years. Holy shit! Rutgers score twenty or more points in conference games. Keeping in mind that that would have included a full slate of, I mean, I'm trying to think which year they switch over to nine conference games. Um, But yeah. Bear in mind, this is, I I specifically remember 40% of those because they were (laughs) such notable occasions. Oh, yeah. And, And again, look, I understand last year is different for a number of reasons, but it was different for Rutgers too. It was year one for them too really the only team that you could say they were arguably more prepared for than was Michigan state. And they still scored 20 or more almost twice as many times as they did in the previous four years. That tells you the depths of offensive ineptitude they were coming from. Um, and not with a, you know, not with like a, an earth shattering recruiting class here. Yeah. They brought in a few transfers and patched things up, but it's not like they, I mean, they didn't do what Michigan state did and just give the whole pro the whole roster an enema. Um, I mean, they brought in a handful of guys, and it helps. But just having a competent coaching staff here, the difference was night and day. Um, well, and then you you see what Greg Schiano has parlayed that into. They currently have a top ten recruiting class for twenty twenty two. Well, I know that it's early, right? So, I know that it's early, but this is Rutgers, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's if- a big deal. That means something. They've got some really high end talent committed there, so. I want to pose the question to you again, you, you goddamn 50-something orange windbreaker person on you know any given Illinois forum. Does it matter if you win in year one? Yeah, it matters. Greg Schiano did everything he could to win in year one. I mean, they were doing some weird-ass shit <laughs> with their quarterback rotation. They tried a bunch of stuff. He pulled out all the stops. He did everything he could to win in year one. Because he knew that that would get, you know, a lot of positive buzz. I mean, because because think of the opportunity you have. Three and six was something that had everybody talking about how this program is going places. And how important is that buzz to get early? It's, it's great tact on the part of Shiano, who was basically Tim Beckman in the NFL. Just a big doofus meathead that didn't understand what the sport was about. Um, and now here we are back in college and he's done exactly what I always wish our coaches would do in year one and understand just do everything you can to be as competitive as possible in year mm-hmm. one, you know, mortgage the future if you have to, because it matters. It matters a great deal to program perception and it matters if you get those recruits in right away, it's going to help. Even if you think you've got great recruiting chops, regardless of the results and you want to sell playing time, it, it it's not quite as attractive as, hey, look how much we improved this program just by taking it over. Look yeah, how good so we are. You mentioned, you mentioned even if it involves mortgaging the future, what exactly did Chris Ash leave that made you think, well, gosh, you know, <laughs> if, I, <laughs> yeah, if I bring in guys who are going to play right now. That was a hypothetical. 
this freshman class that Chris Ash left us is never going to develop to their full potential. I, bullshit. I that mean, was hypothetical. That was not uh, yeah. related so to you, the situation. You mentioned their current recruiting staying in the 2022 class. Obviously, that's not going to hold. Nobody's expecting Seattle to pull in a top 10 class. But look. But it's definitely going to finish a lot higher than every Chris Ash class. Yeah. So their 2021 class finished 41st in the country. And that's not great. Like, that's not going to put you in Ohio State's neighborhood. But it's still ninth in the conference. They haven't been, that's their best finish so far. And if you look before that, I mean, 2020, they finished uh, 61st in the country. Let's go back to 2019, 65th. And then going back to 2018, 56th. So in his first full season as coach, which again, you're, you're coming in and with this 2021 cycle, those are guys that have been building relationships with other coaching staffs for years. You're behind the eight ball as a new coach with your first class. So that Shiano was able to make that kind of headway and sign, you know, a 40, basically the inside of the top 40 class in the country, especially because there is two best recruits are in-state prospects. He's got a ton of guys from New Jersey, a ton of guys from Florida, his historic recruiting grounds when he had success before. I mean, everything that you, if you're a Rutgers fan and you think, okay, rationally, how do we build our program back to where Shiano had it before and sustain that success in a tougher conference? He's taken every first next step that you would take to get there, right? Yeah, Uh, I mean, this is exactly what I want Illinois' big dumb meathead to do. (laughs) Oh, look, he he still could. Who's to say that he won't? Um, He's. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, obviously we're pre-season, pre-season one. But I'm just saying, like, if he just kept pace with Rutgers, like, what Rutgers is doing right now is impressive enough that, yes, if he matches Rutgers stride for stride, then it would be an unbridled success. Yeah. Um, okay, so to return to the X's and O's of it a little bit. Yes, let's there, let's there. let's go. Yeah. Let's get, let's zoom in, zoom in, they're, enhance. They're in better shape. Yeah. They're in pretty good shape defensively. A couple spots for the improvement, but they have a linebacker combo with Tyshawn Fogg and Oakunle of Fadukasi that I think most teams would take. Um, again, we mentioned Bo Melton's taking the extra year of eligibility as well. They had a really good corner combo last year with Trey Avery and Avery Young, and they're going to add. Oh, they better be back. They, they, they better Island. both be starting. Huh? I hope that Avery Young and Trey Avery are both going to be starting again because I would I expect that's the case. I mean they were they were it's the very football equivalent fast. of do you remember the when the White Sox had the three Garcia outfield? Yeah, the Gar Cerberus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't quite that, but it's still one of those things that you, well, you there's, there's still a couple Averys short in the back end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they do need to find some new safeties. Um, Christian Izian is the only guy they have in the safety group that really has any experience whatsoever. And they could also use a couple of impact guys up front. You know, they picked up Malik Barrow last year and he was a good friend. I don't believe he's coming back. Um, they're good. They need impact guys on the defensive line. Um, but look, they, they got a few crucial fifth year carryovers with the free year of eligibility. Everything's coming up Rutgers for the time being. And that <laughs> I do mean that both, in a literal sense and in the sense of the meme from the Simpsons I'm referring to here, which is, yeah, you know, things are still not great. Like there's a, there's still a lot more talent that's going to be needed. They need a lot more things to go their way. 
but so far, like this, this could be going much worse. There are many other coaching transitions that have happened in the conference in the last few years that have gone much worse. And this new coaching staff probably had the worst situation. I mean, Lovey Smith picking up from Tim Beckman was pretty miserable as well. Well, that's true. Yeah. But this is, this was bad. Uh, this, this was really, really bad. And, and, and this is just, it was a normal, the thing is Lovey Smith and Mel Tucker both had abnormal timelines. This was a normal timeline and it's like just as bad because the program was just so miserable. Yeah. So again, it, everything looks good here. Um, let's see, let's see how they might end up doing on the field. Interesting non-conference here. Yeah, they have they two host, former Big East rivals. Yeah, first game they host Temple, and then they take a road trip to Syracuse. Now, Syracuse has been really bad. I mean, you want to talk about hires that did not go the way we thought. I know once upon a time, Dino Babers was your platonic ideal. Oh, no, it's still – I still think we would have been better off hiring him because what what would I rather have? A thing where we just kind of derp our way into the Red Box Bowl – or a 10-win season and we beat Ohio State. Like, come on. If we're going to flame out after five years, I'll take what Dino Babers did. I and also, that. pretty yeah. fun offense. Yeah, there is there is that. If you got to be bad, at least be interesting. Um, and then third non-conference game is of no concern. That's against the Delaware Blue Hens. And then the following week, they play another team with... That has the same helmet. winged helmet. Yeah. Uh, which would be the trip to Michigan to open conference play on the 25th. I can't help but wonder if maybe Rutgers has that game circled this year because of the way they really missed an opportunity last season. Um, I think Michigan's the better team on paper, but they sure weren't the better team on the field last year, notwithstanding the result. So, yeah, you could, you could catch Michigan in a situation where their defense hasn't really gelled. They're still missing assignments and such. And you just, you, you, you get a few over on them, um, and, yeah. and uh, the they, following they just haven't proven to be all that – Michigan has not proven to be all that resilient under Jim Harbaugh. No, and then the following week you get Ohio State. I mean, kind of, you know, take your best shot, but <laughs> – Whatever. But, I, mean, <laughs> it's, it's I mean, I feel the same about the Ohio State game on their schedule that I do about the Delaware game. Who sure. cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah, Rutgers did ring up some points on Ohio State's backup backups last year, but it was really it also sort of was a nobody makes me bleed my own blood thing because then Ohio State just you know yeah, but like also you know like blue team scored some points against orange team in our spring game like in the fourth quarter, but most of those points came due to the three point contest. (laughs) That's about as relevant as talking about virtually anyone's. (laughs) game against Ohio State yeah so um and then Michigan State is a home game after that again I don't know what to expect from Michigan State next year uh and I've spent a lot of time thinking about it I think to the extent that there was a preparation gap last year for sure I hope that that will be narrowed and if that's the case I think Michigan State's probably a better team in terms of talent because they brought in a ton of it um to replace outgoing guys who barely played but who knows how that goes. And then after that, they have the cross-divisional portion of the schedule going to Northwestern, taking a bye, going to Illinois. And then they host Wisconsin before finishing up at Indiana, at Penn State versus Maryland. 
I'm going to do everything I can to be there for the final regular season installment of Illa Nutgers before 2024, because I think it's going to be a banger. Um, it's, a, it's a series that should be played every year. It's, you know, it's, it's Indiana Purdue basketball where it's like, how do we ever not schedule this twice? It's just a, a terrible omission by the conference schedule makers. There we're going to no protect the bucket, which let's be honest, half the time devolves into the least interesting 56, 35 games you'll ever see. How are we not protecting Illinois Nutgers? One of this conference's true treasures. And, and I'll grant you that last year's was definitely the most fun to watch. Um, and, and they have, they've mostly been fun to watch in the way that like, I don't know, two really bad teams playing is often very fun to watch, but, uh, I, I defy you to find me one person that would rather watch six years of Illinois Penn State than six years of Illinois. Yeah, that's madness. Madness. Not even Penn State fans. Not even the Penn State fans that are still mad about that time that Tim Beckman uh, swiped like a fourth string offensive tackle that never played a snap from us for us. Are there really people? I think that's honestly, that feels like performative anger to me. Uh, I'm, no, I'm just saying if there were those people, they would okay. still rather watch Illa Nutgers. Okay, so you're phrasing. I thought, I mean, look, I'm not on I'm not on the social media bumping elbows with people from our fan bases all that often. That's why half the time when we talk, when we have these conversations about, well, what is a good expectation for Team X? I'm like, I don't know what their fans want. I don't deal with these people. So uh, God knows I don't read the comments. Um, but anyway... Yeah, and, I, and they finish it, up with a very tough back end in November. They do, yeah, but you know that's we've been a little bit of a theme here that there are a couple of backloaded schedules for the weaker teams in the conference. Um, let's look at expectations. Do you do you feel that it's unreasonable to say, you know, hey, look, everything's gone well so far. Why don't we set expectations here at bowl game? I think it's unreasonable to set that as an expectation. I think that is one where you think like, okay, well, that's obviously the goal. And we're just, you know, if everything goes right, they can get there. Uh, you got to, which should be a sure win in Delaware. Um, Temple is kind of an unknown. Uh, ask Maryland about them. Well, um, they're a starting quarterback place for Michigan State. Now, yeah, at least yeah that's, you, that's a bit of a problem. A guy who used to start for them. I mean, he got hurt, so they have some experience of life after Anthony Russo. Not that he's, you know. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of going to depend on one, you know, which way the coin flip that is Northwestern comes up. Um, true. Because I, I, I feel they've coin flipped with much worse Rutgers teams. Yes, <laughs> and and this is according to the the auguries and the stars and the way that Northwestern just alternates good and terrible years, this should be a gettable Northwestern team, right? So yeah, I see Wisconsin, Indiana, Penn state, and Ohio state as sure losses. I, I man, I instinctively want to say Michigan, but uh, I mean, I want to give the edge to Michigan. Just again, I'm inclined well, to yeah, edge Michigan the home is team a more talented team. And usually that's all that it takes, but last year happened and that's a game that Rutgers could and should have won. And are you more, who do you think is going to be an improved version of themselves from last year? Are you, are you more confident in Rutgers improving or in Michigan improving, giving that Michigan's got an entirely new defensive staff 
has shuffled all their assistant positions. They're going to have most, they will most likely have a new quarterback by that. I, you know, anyway. you ever heard of the term uh, porcupine graph? So I don't know that I have. I can probably a, this, infer this is what a fun thing where, 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 you know, basically it just graphs. Um, if you graph projections over time, like how projections involve and, and you see the value of something decline, but then the future projection always goes up. So then it's just a porcupine because as the thing declines, the projection is, is always pointed up. Yeah, I suppose. Because <laughs> you figure, yeah, you, you figure, well, they can't help but get better. So you project they'll be back. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, it can keep dropping. <laughs> <laughs> it cannot. Let it, look, if you take away nothing else from our discussion here in Rutgers Week, it can always get worse. And if that's not the motto for the Chris Ash era, and a reminder of what Rutgers has left behind, I don't know what is. It do go down. It do go down. Now, that being said, we have to switch to a topic here, which the last few years has been a source of some relief for Rutgers fans, but feels like a little bit more of a mixed bag right now. Uh, and that would be that of the Hoops team. So I understand, obviously, that officially finally making the NCAA tournament and winning a game even, should have won two games, should have knocked off Houston, not letting you off the hook for that, but making the tournament after you know thirty-year drought um, puts this season in the unquestionable success category. There was certainly more on the table, man. Could have been in the Sweet Sixteen, should have been in the Sweet Sixteen. Um, but sometimes then, it's hard to win one game. Yeah, right. So again, I'm not saying that you're frowning about last season's outcome at all. But you know what? If you're wailing and gnashing and gnashing your teeth about what happened in the tournament last year, like welcome to the Big Ten. Yeah, you're not even on the medal stand. Uh, no, <laughs> I frankly, I, I think there's at least five other fan bases that don't want to hear that shit from Rutgers. I am among them. Yeah, yeah. So I get that it's a, a great triumph to be back in the tournament. And to finally get that monkey off your back officially. Although, again, I would give Rutgers credit for the previous year because they were going to the tournament, no question. They would have been a higher seed than they were this year. Absolutely. However, they're in something of an interesting situation now because the band broke up immediately after their first successful tour. Miles Johnson is off to UCLA. Montez Mathis off to St. John's. Um, Mamadou Ducore is at LaSalle. Jacob Young is in the portal. Uh, and as far as I know, I, I meant to check this today, so I don't know if this has changed. I think it, I checked a couple of Rutgers you know, blogs and news sources, and I feel like this would have come up, um, which is that as of this moment, Ron Harper Jr. and Geo Baker are both officially off to the draft. Either or both of them could return. Um, and again, I can confer, I can check this again to make sure that it's still the case. But when I put this together, they did not have any incoming transfers at the moment. And their only high school recruit was a three-star point guard who was outside of the top 200 nationally. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's a bit confusing as to why this has happened. Of course, the, you know, the, uh, the smooth brain take that you're likely to hear a lot is, well, you know, these guys made a tournament at Rutgers and, you know, their stock's not going to get any higher than this because, you know, did Rutgers, man. But, like, Rutgers is in the Big Ten, you know? 
Okay. All right. So here I, st- I do stand corrected at one point. So I'm checking right now and they have, they do have a transfer coming in from LSU, Andre Hyatt. Um, that's a wing six foot seven guy certainly figures to fit kind of a longer, taller athletic mold that they like. So that's something. Um, and obviously he'll be eligible immediately, but still no other incoming recruits. And I remember thinking a couple years ago, I was trying not to make too much of it. And I'm still, maybe it still isn't relevant to this. Maybe it's not a big deal. But I remembered when Eugene Omarui transferred out, and I was like, that's weird. Because this is before the rash of transfers, this is before COVID. He was set to be their team captain going into the 2018 19 or 19, uh, what year is it? Um, no, going to two years ago. So this has been going into the 2018 19 season. He was set to be their captain. And, and this then, was when this was when we had seen Rutgers and basically called our shot on they're probably a borderline tournament team. Yeah, we thought they were going to be good the last the, a couple of years ago. We called that correctly. I'll give us credit for that. But Gene Omer, Eugene O'Ruri just transferred abruptly, and it was like, huh, that's but again it's a I, thing that you forgot happened because it didn't affect them. No, well, yeah, they plugged in Aquasi Yaboa from um, from Stony Brook and didn't miss a beat, and then he so, transferred. Well, no, he he was a one and done. He was just a rental. Oh. Um, and this again, this is he didn't get the free year because he played in 19. So right. Um, okay. I got confused on how but that yeah, so that now this happens, and again, like a transfer here or there. You can like Miles Johnson is from California. He's an extremely smart guy. He's going back basically to start master's work, as I understand it. So he was transferring to be closer to home. Okay, fine, that happens. Um, but still, to lose the number of contributors they have, man, it Peichel's gotten a couple of useful guys out of the transfer to the portal to this point, to be clear. And he most likely still will because there's a whole lot of guys who are still in the portal, but just consider that that look at the roster as we're sitting here at the end of May, if they don't bring in a bunch of guys via the portal and they don't get Baker and or Harper back, they're going to be offering minutes, starting minutes, just about any guard in the portal because the alternative would be a lineup based around here. Here are the guys coming back currently who averaged more than six minutes a game last year. CJ McConnell, Paul Mulcahy, Cliff Omarui. That's it. And Omarui only barely did. He was a firm backup. Uh, Mulcahy was really kind of one of their first, those were their first couple guys off the bench was McConnell and Mulcahy. But they're going to need guards in the worst way, especially if they don't get Baker or Harper back. And, I don't have my finger on the inside pulse of our Rutgers. Maybe this is much to do about nothing. And they expect Baker and Harper to both be back. But that being said, again, with those two guys being the focal points, this offense was still kind of janky at times. It wouldn't hurt them to get a little more fresh blood than just one former, you know, role player from LSU. Yeah. And you don't want to make a habit of this because you don't want to be playing a uh, Hoiberg ball 2.0. Um, because that's uh, that involves not winning a lot of games. But basically one of two things is going to happen next year. Either they're going to have a down year, which is going to kind of, you know, take the, I mean, kind of take Steve Peichel a little bit lower on people's radar. So maybe a backdoor way to, uh, to, to, to keep him around a, a little more. Or... <laughs> he's going to pull a tournament season out of his ass and definitely be gone. And I know that they're very committed to him, but um, 
you know, I've recently learned that that'll only get you so far uh, as all three of our assistant coaches were made some of the highest paid in basketball, despite our counter offers for the same money. Um, and honestly, while Texas was searching for a coach, I was terrified they'd give Brad Underwood the bag. Yeah, there are, there's, there's money and then there's money in being the guy at the spot. And I don't know if a tournament season with this amount of roster transition would get Pikel whatever the best off, whatever the best opening is next year. And I don't know what that would be. Um, but it's a, it's certainly a possibility. And I, I guess in that case, if you if you want, if you're gonna have a little bit of a down season, maybe this is a decent time for one. But look, unless you want Paul Mulcahy jacking up 20 shots a game like Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in Along Came Polly, you got to bring in some guys who are capable of taking shots, assuming you don't get favorable resolution from Baker or Harper. So lots up in the air for Rutgers here. I mean, if you had told me going in, say, you know, before the tournament started, that by this point they would have this amount of uncertainty, I would have been floored because, yeah, I thought the Omari thing was a blip that was behind him, but this amount of transition after the season they just had is surprising and not in a good way. Yeah. Of course you mentioned, you know, that you don't think that will make him necessarily a candidate for the best job that comes open next year. And of course the troll in me is thinking, you mean Ohio state, but then I was thinking, man, when was the last time in either of the major sports, we had uh, a big 10 coach hire someone's head coach to be their head coach. I can't think of a time. I mean, that's happened in the SEC a few times, but I want that to happen and for it to not involve my school. Um, <laughs> just because the beef would be like, God, th- think of something that would incite more beef than that. No, I, it, look, it would be good. It would be spicy. And as, as we said, when we were talking about Illinois, Iowa, a little bit of spice really helps. It does. Um, so yeah, well, I guess what we're saying is, Minnesota, why didn't you try to hire Steve Peichel? That would have been funny as hell. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!